And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season, we have been looking at an overview of missions history. And so we've talked about things like apostolic mission, mission in the early church, Celtic and Scottish missions, missions in the Middle Ages, mission during the time of the Reformation, the modern missions movement. Today will be the kind of final time period that we're going to focus on, missions in the 21st century. But I want us to think primarily about the present and the future as we consider what God is doing around the world today. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Goheen. Dr. Goheen began his professional life as a church planter and a pastor in the Toronto area. And then for over two decades, he taught worldview studies, biblical theology, and missiology at a number of colleges and universities. And for most of that time, while he's been teaching, he's also held kind of part-time pastoral and preaching positions in local congregations. Today, he splits his time between Vancouver, Canada, and Phoenix, Arizona, where he directs the Theological Education Program at the Missional Training Center, an extension site of Covenant Seminary. He also serves as scholar-in-residence for the Surge Network for churches in the Phoenix area. During my PhD studies, I had an opportunity to do an independent study with Dr. Goheen, and I'm so thankful for his scholarship, for his contributions in the area of missiology and ecclesiology, and I'm excited to have the conversation today. Dr. Goheen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to see you again, Paul. All right. I want us to start maybe thinking through what, what are some of the major things that characterize missions in the 21st century? I think as we begin to discuss that question, a really important topic to immediately discuss is what we're talking about when we use the word mission or missions. Of course, the word mission and missions is not a biblical word. It's a theological word. It's like Trinity or providence. In other words, it's language that we have coined to try to grasp something of the Bible's teaching. And the language, as it has come into our time period, we could trace the history of that language, but the way it's often understood is a movement especially a movement from the West to the non-West. That's been kind of our history. That's kind of the tradition that shaped us, where we've often reduced mission to cross-cultural, and we see Christian nations like the United States or Europe or North America, and we move from Christian nations, which is the home base to the mission field, which is Africa or Asia or Latin America. And it's often been shaped by the colonialism of that period. And so I think the first thing we have to start with when we're talking about this is that things have changed dramatically. The growth of the non-Western church in terms of numbers, in terms of vitality, and if you're talking about cross-cultural missions, just in terms of the number of people that are involved in the, uh, from non-Western countries in the mi cross-cultural missions 
China, India, Korea, Nigeria are four of the five biggest and largest sending nations in the world. So to speak of mission simply as moving from the West to the non-West would really not reflect the situation in which we find ourselves, where the church in the Southern and Eastern Hemisphere are growing fast, and the church in the West is declining in terms of numbers, in terms of mission, cross-cultural missions, in terms of vitality. So without digging deeply into this, I think it's important to say that in many ways, the language of mission, I think, defines our identity. Mm. That is, the biblical story is a movement from one people to all the nations. It's a movement from the one to the many. It's a movement from one place to the four corners of the earth, the ends of the earth. And so the people of God play a role in making God and the good news of Jesus Christ known throughout the world. And so they have a missional identity. So we can define mission in terms of the whole of our lives. But within that task, we have a missional intention where we're called to make known that good news. And within that, we have a calling to make the good news and a, and a witness known in places where there are none. And that's how I wanted to find missions, uh, establishing a witness in places where there are none. But that's a part of the bigger mission of the church. That is our vocation, our identity to make known the good news. So I don't know how that strikes you right off the bat, Paul, but I think that's an important place to start. Sure. That clarification actually is is very helpful. And, and I do think to your point, the focus and emphasis of most of the podcast and the conversation will gear itself more towards missions with an okay. S and kind of how is this taking place in context around the world where Christ is not yet named or Christ is not yet known. So I, I do appreciate that clarification. So from your vantage point, what would be a couple of the things that you would say kind of characterize missions in the 21st century? Okay. Well, I think certainly the Pentecostal tradition, for the most part, in many ways, uh, mission has been the task of the ecumenical movement and the evangelical movements. But I think the explosion of the Pentecostal tradition, and I'm setting aside here terminology, because a whole lot of people that we would define as Pentecostal in a non-Western world say, what do you mean Pentecostal? We're just biblical Christians. Pentecostal is your Western category. We're just biblical. But I'd say, with some scare quotes around that, Pentecostal mission, these churches that we would identify as certain characteristics of what we see as Pentecostalism, I think there's much good and there's much danger in the fact that the Pentecostal tradition is growing and exploding and taking a lion's share in the mission's task. I think it's important to recognize also the urbanization of the world, mm. the growth of cities, and all the issues that that brings. It's no longer going to villages in Africa, if you want to put it that way. It's now going to the great cities that are deeply shaped by Western civilization. And I think, therefore, along with that, it's really important to recognize globalization and the spread of Western culture around the world, the way that is shaping the cities, the way that's shaping the churches, the way that's shaping, well, everything. The, uh, in many ways, Western culture is seen as some kind of neutral reality. But in fact, I would argue it's deeply shaped by the humanist religion. And therefore, that humanist religion is a missionary religion spreading its good news, as it were, around the world. 
And as it deeply, more and more deeply shapes non-Western and, well, every part of the world, that's going to deeply shape the way we understand missions. So those are some of the things that immediately come to mind. Yeah, that's helpful. You know, you mentioned this earlier about kind of the growth of the church in Asia, Africa, Latin America. You know, oftentimes people have kind of coined the phrase the global south and Philip Jenkins and others have written on this. Can you talk some about some of those changes that we're seeing with the makeup of the global church around the world? Yeah. First of all, I've always wondered why we just simply called the global south. <laughs> I like to call it the global south and east. In many ways, there's plenty of growth in the global east that is above the equator. <laughs> I think one of the things you're seeing, is, first of all, is just numerical growth. I think that there was a time, I haven't seen statistics on this more recently, but there was a time in which the church in the West was losing tens of thousands of members a day. And at the same time, the church in the global South and East was growing at three times that rate. Mm. And so that was through the 80s and the 90s. And of course, I think those numbers have slowed down a bit in both directions, but I think that that would be uh, in numbers. I have spent a chunk of my time more recently in South America, but I've also spent a lot of times in other parts of the world, and there's a vitality hmm. uh, to these churches, uh, a vitality that leads to you see in, in worship, where you see in a love for God's word, where you see in a desire to evangelize. I remember talking to a Brazilianist, I was a one-hour trip with him, and he was talking about how what a privilege he had to be able to, that one of his greatest joys in life was to be able to share the gospel with people who didn't know. And I thought, boy, that kind of vitality, just where you see it as a privilege and, and you're so thankful for that. So I, I see a vitality in these churches. There's also, again, as I mentioned before, a great growth in cross-cultural interest in bringing the good news to different parts of the world. In the place I live, Vancouver, we have a number of people in our churches that have come from other parts of the world that many ways see themselves as missionaries to the West, to Canada, to Vancouver, where less than 10% of the people ever attend church. So I think that those are some of the things that characterize, I always think in terms of those numbers, in terms of vitality, in terms of cross-cultural missions. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I was just in the Dominican Republic last week preaching at a church. I didn't really know what to expect and walk into the church to preach twice. They had two services, and both services had 2,000 people in each of them there in Santo Domingo, and God has just built an, an ama amazing congregation there, faithful pastors, people that are hungry for the Word, a desire to worship the Lord, to follow mm -hmm. after Him in discipleship. And so, yeah, I think vitality is the right descriptor of what God's doing. It was fascinating. One of the pastors said, you know, in Latin America, the church has been a little bit asleep, he said, but I would say we're at 9 a.m. right now. And he said things are waking up. And he was very encouraged at what the Lord is doing. So I appreciate you mentioning that. I, one of the things, Paul, I, I found it funny. I was visiting South Korea. Because of jet lag, I was awake about 4 o'clock in the morning. So I, I was in Pusan. And so I came out onto my deck. And I was just standing there looking over the city. And there was this huge number literally hundreds of students at the university I was at just walking. I thought, four o'clock, what are they doing? So the president picks me up and he says, I asked him, what was going on at four o'clock in the morning? He says, well, this, this is the prayer time they have every morning for about an hour, hour, two hours from five to seven. 
said, yeah, I said, there's hundreds. He says, yeah, there are literally hundreds. Mm. And he says, it's so popular that we've got a problem here that students are falling asleep in class because they're, they're praying so early. And he says, so we're starting to discipline them. We're saying, if you keep falling asleep in class, you're not going to be allowed to go to prayer time. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, oh, man, wow. uh, I would love to see at the university I'm at. Mm, mm, praise <laughs> the Lord. That's, that's a great testimony. You know, as we think about some of the shifts that are taking place in the global church, you know, what would you say today are some of the major geographical hubs for Christianity? You know, we kind of think through historically, and we tend to think of places like Jerusalem and Rome and Antioch and some of that. But today, as you kind of look at the global landscape, what would you say are the geographical hubs well, I think that certainly South America and Sub-Sahara Africa are two of the hubs. I remember one time with a missiologist friend of mine in the early 2000s, we used to argue, what's going to be the center and the hub of world Christianity in the future? Is it going to be Sub-Sahara Africa or is it going to be South Korea? And uh, of course, you never know these things. But I think that certainly Sub-Sahara Africa has grown and that is a, certainly a geographical hub in many ways. We're going to see what that looks like, continue to look like. I think the importance of theological education, discipleship is going to have a big impact on whether that can really become the center of world Christianity or not. But certainly Sub-Saharan Africa. Again, I would say South Korea. There's Now, the last time I was there, they were arguing that the church was becoming increasingly nominal. But that was the same time where I saw hundreds of students going to pray. So I'll take their nominalism sometime. But I think that certainly South Korea, Brazil, I spend a lot of time in Brazil. I think the Brazilian church is growing. It's vital. And I think this is really hard to say about, but I think the Chinese church, we have to have our eye on that church. The Chinese church is certainly exploding. I like to tell people in Canada that the Chinese church is three times the entire population of Canada. Mm. Now, of course, that's a drop in the bucket when we think of the size of the Chinese population, but it's growing. It's vital. The number of missionaries they're sending to other parts of China, in other words, it's made up of so many people groups, is really something. And I think as we look at the global politics of the West, of Islam and China, those three powers, and we think of the Chinese church in China, I think we're going to have to keep an eye on China. So as I think about it, I think about Brazil, I think of Sub-Saharan Africa, I think of South Korea, and I think of China. Those are the ones that come to my mind quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs, or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu bgs. You know, you mentioned earlier, just one of the kind of the changing realities around the world is 
urbanization. I would love to hear you share a little bit more just kind of on what kind of impact does urbanization have on Christian missions around the world? This is certainly an important area. My own professor of missions was Harvey Kahn at Westminster Seminary. And of course, Harvey Kahn was one of the leading thinkers in urban mission, and he was always raising these issues in our courses. He influenced Tim Keller, and now Tim Keller's city-to-city movement is having a global impact. I think of a one author one time said something like this. He says, mission will be won or lost in the 21st century in the battle for the soul of the great cities. Hmm. I think there's something really important about that. And as I look at the demographics, first of all, the phenomenal growth of the cities is important. Just the fact that if you were to look at a table, it would just be going straight up. The graph would be going straight up in terms of numbers. The fact that much of that growth is happening quickly in southern and eastern hemispheres, especially if we think about Asia, where the church is probably, in terms of percentage anyway, the weakest and we see the incredible growth. I remember coming in on in on a bus to Tokyo, and it was about three in the morning, and we were coming to the underground there, and there were people coming in and flowing out like it was rush hour in New York. And this is three in the morning, and I just, that was my first introduction to the size of Tokyo, the, the sheer size of the cities in the southern and eastern hemisphere. And then also, a little bit later, finding out how this underground is just floor after floor after floor of subways. So I think just the size of the growing growth of the city in east, southern eastern hemispheres, the enormous socioeconomic need that is coming as a result of the incredibly fast growth, I think is really important. And just the fact that much of that's in Asia, where we have the highest number of unreached people. So I think those are the demographics that play into this. And it seems that strategically, that's where the people are. I mean, the way Tim Keller puts it, reaching the cities are important because there's more square inch of image of God there than anywhere else. That's a good way of putting sheer numbers, but also the cultural power and influence of the cities, because those are the hubs for education, for politics, for businesses. In other words, those things that are shaping culture. So the, the power and the influence of the city Also, it's there that we're increasingly seeing the meeting of religious visions, Hmm. where Western humanism as a religious vision, which is so powerful, is meeting other religious visions like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism that's shaping those cities. I think the decreasing presence of Christians in many of these southern and eastern hemisphere cities is really important, except for Pentecostalism. I think we're going to have to ask, what does that mean for the church in terms of targeting those cities? So I think that all of that demographical kind of stuff leads us to have to say, okay, how does that set an agenda for missions? I think of at least four things. I think it's going to set an agenda for reflection on the gospel. In many ways, we just start by saying, oh, we know what the gospel is, and let's go. But I think that what Rene Paidia said in 1974 to the uh, Christians in Lausanne, the the large Christian meeting in Lausanne, he says, we we have to face the fact that we mean different things by the gospel. And we're going to have to come to terms with what the Bible says the gospel is and not assume our contextualized way of expressing it is the gospel. What is the biblical gospel? I think that is going to be really important. 
I think it's going to be important in terms of understanding the city, the dynamics of the city. I've been involved in a couple of urban churches, and each time it was understanding the demographics of the city that was really important for the church to be able to carry out its mission in, in the, that urban setting. As a matter of fact, that missional training center, we have a course that's in the first year that it's called Exegeting the City, hmm. learning how to read the city and know the city and understand the city, its religious depth, as well as the dynamics of the city. Understanding contextualization, understanding holistic mission, especially mission in the public square, training the laity for their calling in the public square is going to be really important. So I think that when you start to look at urbanization, the impact of Western culture, the technology, the politics, the economics that are closely associated with Western culture, I think all of that is going to play into the fact that the church's mission in the cities is going to be very, very different than the past when the church's mission was often to villages and to places where there was a homogenous, say, African culture or something like that. Yeah, those are those are good insights. I appreciate you sharing some of that. As we think through the future, what are kind of two to three trends maybe that you kind of see on the horizon that we need to be paying attention to? I know you kind of mentioned some of these potentially, but just kind of a word of wisdom to people who are thinking 5, 10, 15, 20 years ahead. Here's two or three trends that we need to kind of keep our eyes on as it relates to mission. Yeah. I'd say first of all what I just mentioned urban mission. Say any more about that. I think probably the biggest thing, this is my, maybe this reflects my own, not just my, my interest, but I, I think the, I think the huge thing that we've got to pay attention to is globalization and the spread of Western humanism around the world. You know, I did my PhD work on Leslie Newbigin, and he argued that mission to Western culture was going to be at the top of the agenda for mission in the future. And when he wrote that three decades ago, I think he was beginning to see something that is now even more important. Hmm. I think the fact that globalization, again, we've often misunderstood Western culture and seen it as either Christian or we've seen it as neutral, neutral in a modern sense as based on science, or neutral in a postmodern sense as sort of religiously pluralistic. And I think it's neither of those things. It's deeply religious. It's a humanism that is in many ways a counterfeit or a heresy of the Christian faith. So it wants to hang on to certain dimensions of the Christian faith, but cut it off from its root in the Bible. And so that's what makes it even more dangerous. And I think the fact that it's so powerful, it's so pervasive, it seems to have a very, I think, a negative effect on the Christian faith, on all religions of the world in some ways. And so I think that we it's probably the most resistant to the gospel. There's been a number of people that say it's the most powerful force that the Christian church has ever faced. That's almost a direct quote of two or three people that I could mention. And so I think that globalization and the spread of Western culture is going to require us to pay attention to it. It's going to require us to reflect on the gospel, on what Western culture, the way Western culture has shaped that understanding of the gospel, on what it means to be church, because the way Western culture has made the church into a gathering of in, you know religious individuals collectively, rather than the new humankind of the Bible. 
And I think especially it's going to require us to understand the religious core of our culture mm. versus the myth of a Christian or neutral culture. And so I think globalization and the spread of Western humanism, we might tie into that the economics that leads Western culture, the power of technology. I mean, just these dimensions that are flowing from Western humanism are going to be really, really important trends. Hmm. I think at the same time, and this might seem paradoxical, is religious pluralism. You might say, well, it sounds like the world's becoming homogenous, you know, with, with Western humanism. Yeah, but the, what that's doing is fostering, I think, a resurgence of religions around the world. On the one hand, wanting to take on Western culture and the other aspects of Western culture, and the other hand, resisting it. We see that with Islam, for example. And so religious pluralism and understanding what a missionary encounter with the world's religions is going to look like. How can the church, global church, live amidst a religious pluralism as an ideology, especially when we think of the global crises and fragile mm -hmm. interdependence of the world? How do you live in love with our neighbors of other religious visions, holding on to the gospel as true, but at the same time, learning how to do so in a way that loves and really cares for our neighbor. Hmm. I think a third trend I'll mention, then I'll stop there, is just the staggering social and economic needs of our day. I mean, they're just staggering as you look. You can't look at Africa without thinking of AIDS, for hmm. example. You can't even look at the world now without looking at human trafficking and the whole sex industry, put in quotes. Just the huge, staggering socioeconomic needs, I think, requires, is going to require the church to think through holistic mission. On the one hand, you got the soaring population of the world now, over 8 billion people. Mm. You've got these social, staggering socioeconomic needs. What does an authentic witness look like? in the public square, in making known the good news, in showing and seeking mercy and justice. So I think a holistic mission that understands biblically the breadth and the depth of the mission of the church, I think these are certainly two to three trends that, that mm. we're going to, to pay attention to. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. That's really insightful. I want to switch to some more kind of rapid fire questions for you at this point, maybe some quicker responses. What are some good books that you would recommend on missions and missiology today? <laughs> yeah, I am going to go against the trend. Uh, I, I, when I get asked these questions, most people are thinking, okay, what are, the, what are the two or three best latest books? And I understand that. I get that. I'm going to play on my own philosophy here. And my own philosophy is old books and read them again. Now, Martin Luther was purportedly have said, there's 100 books, there's 10 worth reading, and there's one of those 100 that's worth reading again and again until you master it. And that's not what the normal academic would say to you, but that's what has been my philosophy. And so I'm just going to say, I would say, go back, <laughs> go back and read Bosch's transforming mission. That changed in many ways the whole course of missiology. I'd like to tell you my own story and how that began to reshape my understanding of missiology. I said, go back and read that. I've read that probably eight times and mm. just mastering it. And then go back and read, I'll just mention two more, Leslie Newbegin's Gospel in a Pluralist Society and Foolishness to the Greeks. I think those two, Wilbert Schenck, a great Mennonite missiologist has said that in his teaching at Fuller, 
that people are still drawn to Leslie Newbegin's work because it's more relevant today than it ever was mm. in the way it was talking about Western culture. And again, gospel and plural society and foolish discreets, I probably read those 10 times as well. Mm. So I'm going to go against the trend and go against probably what you're wanting me to do and say, go back and read those books and master them. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I appreciate you pushing us back to some of those classic books that really, yeah, are paradigm shifting in many ways. So thanks for pointing those out. The next question is kind of a fill in the blank question. And let's just assume we're kind of getting close to the year 2100 and we're both still alive, which I don't think is probably going to be likely, but let's just kind of do it for the sake of fun. We're looking back over the 21st century, fill in the blank. The most important missions development of the 21st century will be blank. I'd say how the Southern and Eastern Hemisphere churches take up their task, and maybe even specifically how the Pentecostal church develops. Mm. There are so many trends within the Pentecostal church, from heresy and health and wealth gospel to very, I'd say, orthodox. So how they develop in relationship to Western humanism and other things. Yeah, so how the Southern Eastern Hemisphere, especially the Pentecostal churches, take up their task. Okay, that's good. When you kind of scan around the world today, what encourages you the most about global missions today? Again, for me, it's the vitality of the non-Western churches. I've narrowed my focus in the last 10 years to two or three places in the world where I go. And when I go to Brazil, I'm just delighted with the vitality of the church there. Yeah. All right. Kind of flip side of the question, what concerns you about global missions today? Well, I'd say the incredible power of Western humanism spreading around the world, Mm. the fact that many people still see it as Christian, And just what concerns me is how Western humanism is going to impact uh, especially Islam and China, these other global powers. Okay. Last question. What would you say to Christians today about why they should be hopeful for the future as it relates to global mission? It'd be pretty simple. And that is, this is God's mission, Mm. not ours. Mm. Since the resurrection has taken place, the new creation will come. And I think that in saying that, I'm not trying to be flippant, but I'm saying that our Western humanism has so deeply shaped our understanding of mission that we think it depends on us. Mm. And I think we have to know that it doesn't. It's the work of the spirit of the living Christ. And our call is to be faithful and then allow him to do, let him do through us what we want. Mm. Dr. Goheen, thank you so much for your time, for the conversation today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.